we are in the finishing up. We're finishing up our series that we are calling on. And we, this is like the idea that God's ways are so unlike our ways. And this comes right out of the pages of scripture from the old Testament prophet Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 55 verses eight and nine for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither your ways, my ways declares the Lord as the heavens are higher than the earth. So my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And we spent the last three weeks talking about things like being unqualified. And we blew up the idea that um, that God won't give us more than we can handle. But that's only because he can handle everything. He will allow us into situations. He'll even place us in situations for which we might feel uh, unqualified so that we rely on him and he can get the credit and the glory. And then next week, we looked at the example of Jesus who um, who could have been offended by anybody and everybody, but was offended by no one. And we kind of challenged ourselves up to this idea of being unoffendable. And then last week, we we sought to change our relationship with fear. When we come before the Lord and we fear him, we can face any of the other fears of life because he goes with us, he goes before us, and he can handle any and all of that. And we wrap up our conversation on, on this week with this idea of undecided. Christianity is about living a God-centered life. We go all in, full send, leave it all on the field for Jesus. That's how we should live. But unfortunately, for most of us, even those of us who call ourselves Christians, we we don't live like that. We live this undecided kind of in and out. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Um, And we're going to take a look this morning at, at how we can shift out of that undecided lifestyle. And I had some thoughts around what might be driving that, but I wanted to touch base with you guys And I put this question out there on our website. What obstacles get in the way of putting Jesus in the center of your life? And there were a variety of answers, but there were also some themes that emerged. Uh, The first one was this idea of me, not not me like TK, like I'm not the obstacle, but me as the self, right? Like for uh, for instance, myself, I, um, I place a very high value on not failing. Um, I place a very high value on what I want other people to think well of me. And that drives me to this level of busyness that um, that is not healthy. That's kind of how that one of the ways that plays out. Uh, another one of the themes was fear, fear of being judged, fear of uh, lack of control, uh, other priorities, things like finances or job or family. There we stick that in the, the center of our lives where Jesus would be. Those become an obstacle. Um, just trying to think a couple of the, of the other ones that rounded out the idea that, um, not necessarily themes, but other things that were listed were things like hypocrisy or being the, um, the only believer in, um, in a family unit. Oh, the other, the other theme was this idea, um, of shame and condemnation. Like you don't know the things that I've done. There's no way I'm damaged good. There's no way that Jesus could, um, could love me for, for who I am. So as, as I was thinking through this and praying through this, and um, there's one, there's an answer. There's a one word answer to how we go about living God-centered and, and eliminate those obstacles. And that is this idea of, of grace. In the original language, grace, uh, the word is charis. It, it literally means gift, right? So a gift, in order for a gift to be a gift, there has to be an offer. There has to be an acceptance 
And then the other thing that comes into play is what is done with that gift once once it's it's received. So um, we're going to my hope and my prayer for this morning is that we can together discover that grace is not a soft, fluffy, esoteric idea. It is a powerful gift that saves us, sustains us and sends us forward. Grace empowers us to live life to the full. And I thought this morning we would take a look at this idea of grace through the lens of the biblical imagery of Jesus as our great shepherd, our great shepherd. There's um, the, the Bible from beginning to end is filled with passages that talk about God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Godhead as the great shepherd, as a shepherd who cares for his flock. Um, we're going to bounce around from a couple of different pieces of scripture. So I'd encourage you to have your, uh, your Bibles available. And if you, there's a, actually a Bible app built into this platform. If you are viewing through, uh, through church online that you can click on and you can follow right along in there. So we're going to dive right in and we are going to go to John chapter 10. We're going to look at, uh, verses 10 through 12. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. So <clears throat> within these, these three verses, I think there's clues for us. Um, as to what causes this undecided lifestyle that we live. And as we look at the different characters in here, in, the, in that passage, we are the sheep. Cute little sheep. There they are. That's us. Nice and cute. Um, and there's a couple other characters that are important for us to look at. There's the thief, there's the hired hand, and there's the shepherd. So I think one of the primary reasons that we live this undecided life is that we there is we have an enemy, right? The thief is, is Satan. And I'm not sure where each of you is at in terms of what you think about spiritual warfare, but it is very real, right? There is, God has an enemy and his name is Satan. And one of his primary tasks is to make sure that we stay as far away from Jesus as we can, that we put other things in the center of our life. And he will do whatever he can to keep us in this undecided state, even this wishy-washy. He'll do everything from trying to make us hostile towards Jesus to make us uh, apathetic towards him. Apathy is a very powerful weapon in the enemy's arsenal. And those things, like there is someone, there is a being that is actively trying to keep us in this undecided um, lifestyle. And, you know, the, here's the interesting thing about this battle, the spiritual warfare, is it is the only war in all of history, in which the end has already been decided, and yet the combatant still, still wages war, right? So we have to fight these battles along the way. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, in a second. But Jesus beat the enemy. He beat Satan when he died on the cross in our place, and he rose again, right? So the war is won. We still have to fight the battles. Again, more on that in, in a minute. The hired hand. As we think about the hired hand, let's think about the hired hand as um, things that, so the hired hand is supposed to have some of the same responsibilities as the shepherd, right? But he's not the shepherd. He doesn't act like the shepherd. He doesn't have the same level of ownership. He doesn't have the same investment, the same level of care. So for our terms, the hired hand 
are those things that we put in the center where Jesus belongs, right? Things that we try to substitute for Jesus, things that we look to for fulfillment, for purpose, for um, for for protection. The higher, and we usually in the Western world, right? Sometimes it's bad stuff, the bad stuff, right? Sometimes it's it's drugs, it's alcohol, it's sex, it could be work, whatever. But it also, we tend to do this thing where we take a good thing that God has given us and we try to make it the thing. And there is nothing other than Jesus that can or should occupy that center spot in our lives. Anything else we try to put in there will get crushed by the expectations and the weight that are placed upon a savior, somebody, the the person of Jesus that goes in the center. doesn't matter what you take, right? Think about like your job especially now with the virus craziness going on around us, you could center your life around your job. Jobs go away. People get laid off. Businesses close. You center your life around your job and it can disappear. Um, a spouse, even, even if you have the world's greatest spouse, loves you unconditionally, they are still saddled with the condition of human frailty in they're frail mentally, they're frail physically, they're, they're frail spiritually. They are impacted by this thing called sin, and it affects their ability. They can't occupy that center spot. Our children, a lot of us will center our lives around our children. Right? Our kids are, should be important, and we should take care of them. That's, it's godly. It's commanded in the Bible. But they're not supposed to be the center of our world. <clears throat> If we, if we center our lives around our kids and the, so the kid, our kids are supposed to grow up and they're supposed to launch into lives of their own, right? They're supposed to grow up and maybe start a family of their, of their own. If we center our lives around them, when it's time for them to do that, they're not going to be ready to leave and we're not going to be ready for their absence. And maybe you're at a point where you don't have those things or those things you're, you want the perfect job or you want the perfect spouse or you want the perfect kids. Though that idea cannot live in the center of your life either. It will, um, the expectations that we build up when we put ideas, things that we don't have in the center of our life, um, they don't hold up either. When we put a good thing in the center of our lives, when we try to make a good thing, the thing, nothing good happens. That good thing will get crushed under the weight of those expectations that only Jesus can fulfill. The shepherd, right? Jesus is the shepherd in this passage, and he's the one who provides meaning, who provides protection, who provides safety, who provides family, and it's all a gift, right? He offers it to us if we would accept it and follow him. And this next passage that we're going to look at is going to... give us a little bit of rationale as to as to why Jesus is worthy for us to follow him. This is Psalm 23, very famous passage. Even people who um, really don't follow God are familiar with this passage. So we're going to read it. It's only six verses. Here we go. This is Psalm 23, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a great, what a great psalm. Well, a couple kind of general high-level observations and talk about some of the specific blessings that we find in Psalm 23. The psalm is, is famous, and it's mostly it mostly gets attached to the idea of um, death and dying and funerals. But you guys, this psalm was written about life and life to the full that we read about in that John passage. This is about living with Jesus and relationship with Jesus and what life looks like in relationship with Jesus. This is a psalm about, about living. This idea of personal, like I said, there's lots and lots and lots of shepherd references in the Bible. And almost all of them, I don't, I wouldn't go, I'm not sure I can say all of them except this one, but the vast majority of them talk about the shepherd's care of the flock, right? The, of everybody. This Psalm 23 is very personal, right? It addresses the relationship between the psalmist and God and the shepherd. It addresses the relationship that we have with Jesus, a, a very one-on-one -on -one connected personal relationship with with the God of the universe, like nothing else. And then finally, the specific blessings of the psalm is just in those six verses. I mean, we could just stop at verse one, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. But he goes on and it talks about God as provider for, for body and soul. It talks about God as the one who gives us um, guidance and direction. And not just guidance and direction, but guidance and direction that gives God glory and is for our good. Um, the psalm refers to the blessings of God's presence and protection, even in our hardest moments, our deepest, darkest struggles. Jesus promises to be, to be there with us, and he promises that even though those things are terrible, that somehow he's going he's gonna to work them for our good. Um, what are some of the other blessings? Honor, right? We, there's honor found in a relationship with Jesus like anything we could ever possibly deserve. That, that relationship with Jesus brings us that honor. And finally, there's a, a, a future that's secure. And not only is it secure, but it's with Jesus. We have all that stuff, all the stuff, all the blessings, life to the full of Psalm 23 are ours. They're a gift if we would accept that gift and we would follow Jesus. So I talked about the components of a gift, right? It has to be offered. It has to be accepted. And what we do with gift, what we do with grace matters. I think I've told you guys um, a couple weeks ago that Gail really wanted to reorganize my, my office. What I didn't know is that it was all part of this big birthday plan that she had for me. Um, it was actually supposed to be, she was going to get me out of the house for a day of golf with my buddies. And while I was gone, she was going to redo the office. And with all the virus stuff going on, that didn't happen, um, but she still she still redid my office. And man, did she redo my office! Um, new paint, new furniture, new art, new desk lamp. That's even like a phone charger. That I, there's, she got me an essential oil thing that like does this poofy cloud of smoke and makes my office smell good. My office is so amazing now, and um, it makes me more efficient. It makes me happier to be in it. I get more done, and it's phenomenal. And I've tried to go out of my way to let Gail know how much I appreciate it. 
and how much it was just so clear how much thought and effort and energy she put into redoing the my office for me. But here's the thing, right? If if she had done all that work, and even if I said, "Oh, honey, that's great, thank you so much," but I still came out to the kitchen table and I set up my laptop on the kitchen table, and I did research and I wrote messages and I answered emails from the kitchen table, all of her work, her gift, all of the thought and the energy and the care would be useless. It would be for nothing, right? The grace that God gives us, he intends it to not only be a point in time thing that opens the door to relationship with him, but it's something to be used to power us in our life with him, right? It's Grace is actually what allows us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Grace is what allows us to fight those battles. It propels us into those battles with the enemy. Um, grace powers us to serve other people and it powers us to grow the kingdom of God. So grace matters, right? It matters to God. How we respond to grace, what we do with grace matters to God. It, 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 um, it displays how we feel about the gift, how we feel about him. It also matters to other people. And this is the last piece of scripture um, we're going to look at in depth this morning. And this is from Acts chapter 4, uh, verses 32 to 34. And we're looking at this so we take note of the impact that grace has on others. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales. Grace at work in us works change in the lives of others through us. God does amazing things, right? He, like he did in the book of Acts, and that's his prerogative. He can, he can use people to perform miracles. He can use people to do wild, crazy, amazing things. He can also use people to eliminate the needs of others. When we respond to the grace in our lives, it has an impact on people around us. It changes people's lives. Can you imagine if we if we grabbed on to the gift that is the grace of Jesus and we allowed that to work in us, what we as a community could do? Man, that would be that would be such an amazing thing. Grace at work in us works change in the lives of others through us. So we're gonna we're gonna finish up with this. It is actually, it's possible, it's scriptural to grow in the grace of God. And that might sound counterintuitive, but I love to quote Dallas Willard because he's so smart and he's such a was such a godly man and uh, such a great author and teacher. He said, grace is opposed to earning, not effort. There are things that we can do to actually grow in grace. And I keep referring to uh, a rule of life and developing things that help us center our life around Jesus. And I want to challenge us as a community this morning to, um, to two minutes, to two minutes of stillness a day. And I'm going to encourage, I'm going to say, let's try and do it at noon, right? But if you can't do it at noon, that's fine. It's more important that, that you do it. But we want to, we want to be still and silent for two minutes and the reason why we do this is we stop and it recognizes our silence, our stillness recognizes God as being in control of everything, 
right? We are not the masters of our universe. We don't have to, if we stop for two minutes, the world is going to keep spinning. People are going to keep living. Things are going to keep happening. But we stop and we give God a chance to talk to us. We don't say anything. We be still. <clears throat> so if your house is quietest in the morning or late at night, do it then. Like I said, the time doesn't matter. Just make sure you do it. If you have young kids, it might be necessary for you and your spouse to take turns. One of you literally go lock yourself in the bathroom, close the door, lock the door, take two minutes of silence, and then and then switch. Whatever you have to do, fight for this two minutes. I mean, look at look at that picture, right? There's a, a woman standing still amidst of the hustle and bustle of life. Not only will it benefit your soul, but the people around you will take notice as <clears throat> you give God the opportunity to grow his grace in you and it will work through you. So I want to, um, I want to end our time with, I just want to take a, take a few minutes, um, not even a few minutes. And I just, I want to uh, speak a few words over you. And I want to, I want to pray for you for maybe you're still living undecided because you have never, you've never heard of this gift of grace. You've never accepted this gift of grace. Or maybe um, you're under constant attack from that thief. Maybe the hired hand of, um, of family or of work is, is taking the center spot in, in your life. And I just wanna, um, I wanna speak some words over you um, and I wanna, I wanna pray for you. So if you would, whatever you gotta do to kinda center yourself a little bit, get quiet, get still, maybe close your eyes. Um, I'm gonna disappear. We're gonna put this image up on full screen as we think about this idea of, of gift and God's grace for us and receiving it and what we do with it. If you are what keeps you undecided, the grace of our great shepherd says, follow me and I will lead you beside still waters and I will give you peace. If other things like finances or work keep you undecided, the grace of our great shepherd says, follow me. And I will cause you to lie down in green pastures and show you there is nothing else like a relationship with me. If fear keeps you undecided, the grace of our great shepherd says, follow me. I am with you in the darkest valley. In your most difficult struggle, I am there. Even if things don't work out the way you had hoped, I can still work those things for your good. If shame is what keeps you undecided, the grace of our great shepherd says, follow me. And I will prepare a feast for you in the presence of your enemies. There is nothing you have done that could make me love you any less. The grace of our great shepherd is available to every single one of us. He offers the gift and we accept it by saying, I'm sorry, Lord, for allowing other things to take your place in the center of my life. We accept the gift. We use it as it was intended to free us to live life to the full. And we bring change to those around us. Father, we are truly sorry and we humbly repent for those things that we have done and left undone, for the things we've thought and said. For Jesus' sake, please forgive us. Father God, we thank you for this amazing gift that we have in Jesus and for the Holy Spirit who teaches us how to grow in grace. May we be the kind of people through whom this gift flows to change the lives of others. In Jesus' name, amen.